focus on headline. Now we've got some major issues to delve in through. We're going to look at that more in depth. And for this, we have Chung Yein and Yoon Hejung in the studio. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. All right, so we're looking into some domestic news to begin with. The main election for the Gangseogu office chief by election in Seoul is beginning uh, beginning today, starting 6 a.m. this morning. Voting will last until 8 p.m. at 131 polling centers throughout the Gangseogu district. Now, Yein, you have more details on this. Sure. So following the two days of early voting on the 6th and the 7th, uh, this by-election at Gangseogu district is now taking place actually right at this moment and the final result including the ballots from early voting uh, is expected to be announced by midnight so the early voting voter turnout uh, was 22.64 percent which is one of the highest ever for early voting in local elections and by elections now a total of six candidates are contending in this election right now including Jin Gyo-hun of the Democratic Party and Kim Tae-hoo Kim Tae-woo, sorry, uh, of People Power Party, who is actually the former district office chief of Gangseogu district. So the election campaign uh, began on the 28th of last month, and it was fiercely contested as much as the general election even, uh, mainly because today's by-election is considered to be more than just an election for the head of a local government. Now, the outcome is expected to have a major impact on the leadership of both parties. So if the ruling party loses this election, the party will be hard-pressed with blames on the leadership for nominating the candidate who has caused the very by-election to happen in the first place, as well as on President Yoon also for pardoning and reinstating the candidate. Now, if the Democratic Party gets defeated uh, in this election, uh, then the shock of losing in a traditionally strong district for uh, the party will likely reignite internal conflict within the party over the leadership of Lee Jae-myung. As the election is being viewed as an opportunity to gauge public sentiment ahead of next year's parliamentary elections, the public is indeed giving much attention right now to who will win and the ramifications of the outcome on the political landscape. Now, you mentioned that this was the highest ever turnout for the early voting for local elections and Mm by-elections. So I believe that if we take a look at the results, it will provide a very good gauge into uh, the public sentiment for next year's parliamentary elections. Now, after going through a security evaluation, uh, South Korea's intelligence agency said it had found the National Election Commission's network to be vulnerable to cyber attacks. Now, this especially from North Korea. Now, this is quite concerning as the results found that the National Election Commission's internal network and its voting management system could easily be infiltrated. Now, Hejong, what do we know so far? Well, the National Intelligence Service and the Korea Internet and Security Agency conducted a joint security evaluation of Korea's National Election Commission, or the NEC, between July and September, amid criticism that the NEC did not do enough to secure its systems for hacking attempts. 
And as a result, the National Election Commission, a state-run election watchdog, was warned by the intelligence agency that its voting and ballot counting systems remain vulnerable to potential cyber attacks by North Korea. Now, announcing the outcome of the joint cybersecurity checkup on Tuesday, the intelligence agency said North Korea could penetrate into the NEC's network at any time due to its weak security system, though no such infiltration has been identified just yet. The probe also showed the NEC had multiple cybersecurity vulnerabilities to hacking attempts in terms of the management of its voter register, ballot counting, and early voting systems. Systems. And potential hackers could have penetrated the NEC's election managing network so as to manipulate registered voter information and the outcome of an election. Now, in the case of a hacking, voters who cast their ballots in early voting could be marked as those who did not participate in the voting. Now, it is also possible to manipulate voter registrations and ballot counts, as well as print ballots without authorization. The test also found that the election results subject to the highest levels of protection were exposed to the possibility of manipulation as well. And the probe also revealed that classified NEC documents were leaked in April 2021 as a North Korean hacking organization identified as Kim Suk-ki used a malicious code to affect a PC at the NEC to steal information. So in response, the NEC argued that even if it is technically possible to hack into the election system, that does not necessarily lead to a rigged election, as it is almost impossible to manipulate the outcome of an election without organized assistance from insiders at the NEC. Now, I believe that they carried out a test uh, regarding the safety level of this system. And while they thought that it was 100% safe last mm. year, it was lower than 30% right. this year, which is very concerning. And now, following the release of the result, the NIS and the NEC had come up with different interpretations of the outcome. Now, while the NIS raised the possibility of election manipulation, the NEC claimed it as an unrealistic scenario. And with the by-election in Gangseogu and the general election in April next year, now the clash between the two organizations is only adding to public concern. And Yein, you have more on this. Sure. So after the NIS results uh, that we have been discussing right now revealed the existence of some potential security loopholes in the voting system, the NEC responded with a statement refuting the claims on the outcome report. Now, an official from the NEC uh, explained that while the commission will promptly complement its security systems and where it is needed based on the NIS's consultation results, the organization released its stance because it has different opinions on the contents and scope of the inspection results. Now, <clears throat> before anything, the NEC argued that a technical hacking result resulting in an actual fraudulent election would be virtually impossible scenario because it would require, of course, many facilitators within the NEC to provide necessary information about the security system. And then the hacking would also require altering physical ballots to match the manipulated voting outcome under the eyes of a large number of ballot count observers, of course. So the commission explains that... Um, 
as the election process involves both physical voting and public manual counting, the information systems and machine equipment are merely just aids to the said process. The entire process here is done under the watch of a large number of clerks, uh, government officials, and electors or voters themselves, and the results can be verified at any time by manually counting physical ballots once again. So the NEC reiterated that various institutional mechanisms in place ensure the safety and verifiability of the election uh, management process, and they are what makes it virtually impossible to actually manipulate the election results. Now, from their end, uh, the NEC rather uh, raised harsh criticism on the NIS, saying the announcement of the result could actually encourage denial of election results. So it said, quote, alleging the possibility of manipulation by only focusing on the chance of technical hacking may encourage people to deny election results, undermine social unity, reduce the credibility of the election system as a whole, cause public unrest and social chaos and even undermine the democratic legitimacy of elected power. Uh, nonetheless, the NEC shared that it has completed measures on urgent security issues ahead of the by-election in the Gangsegu district, including security patch releases, uh, reinforcing vulnerable passwords, of course, strengthening access control to the elector list database, as well as DB forgery and tempering detection system. In addition, the NEC is currently considering installing CCTVs around ballot boxes in the general election scheduled next year and make it publicly accessible 24 hours. In the meantime, some opposition party members argued that the NIS's announcement may be politically motivated, claiming that the result briefing and the allegation of fraudulent recruitment at the NEC is actually a way to hold more control over the commission. All right. So moving on to uh, before moving on to some education related uh, news, I actually forgot to read the message in the beginning of the <laughs> opening because I had to carry out my mission uh, for SJ without making a mistake. And I'm seeing a lot of listeners uh, chiming in and even SJ. He's saying I may not be there, but I'm always with you all in spirit and on YouTube. <laughs> so he's with us. And I feel like uh, I'm uh, receiving a lot of support from him while I'm filling in for your host. Now, moving on to our next piece of news then. Next, this is some news that will largely impact our students in Korea. Now, the Korean CSAT, also known as College Scholastic Ability Test, which is more commonly referred to as the Sunung, and the high school exams uh, referred to as Neshin in Korean, are going to go through a major change in terms of the test subjects and the grading system. Now, Hejong, tell us what's going on. Right. The Education Ministry on Tuesday announced the 2028 college admission plans, emphasizing that the primary goal of the changes is to improve fairness. The Korean CSAT or the Sunung and the high school exams referred to as Deshin are both key important factors in college entrance for the students in Korea. Now first, the CSAT elective subjects are going to be scrapped starting 2028, which means that the changes will affect current 8th graders, giving students and parents time to to prepare. 
Now, in recent years, college entrance exam students were provided with a broader range of subject choices. Currently, 75% of the questions in the Korean language test and the CSAT are all the same for all the students. These questions pertain to comprehension and literature. However, students can choose the remaining 25% from options such as speech and writing or language and media. The situation is similar in math, where students can choose between calculus, geometry, probability, and statistics. However, some students expressed concerns about being disadvantaged due to significant variations in the difficulty levels of questions depending on the subjects they choose. And the government also did note the need to promote a more comprehensive and integrated education approach. So after the change, students will be required to take the same Korean language, math, social studies, and science exams on their college aptitude test from 2028. The textbooks and curricula that cover 17 electives under humanities and sciences will also be integrated as well. And the second change is the grading system for high school exams, or daishin as we call it in Korean, which is basically the regular midterms and finals students take at school. Now, beginning in 2025, when the current 8th graders would be going off to high school, the grading system will be simplified from 9 grades to 5 grades for all the students. The Ministry of Education decided to reform the current system, which allows only the top 4 percentile of students to receive the best grade, uh, uh, the Tier 1 grade, on their school exams, as it encourages excessive competition amid a decline in the number of students. So after the change, the high school examination system will expand the ratio of students included in the top rank from the current 4% to 10% in 2025. And the education ministry will also encourage schools to incorporate more written texts instead of relying heavily on multiple choice exams. Now, this approach aims to enhance students' problem-solving skills and reduce the emphasis on memorization in education. The ministry plans to finalize the 2028 college entrance examination reform plan this year after discussions with the National Education Commission and a public hearing scheduled for November 20th. No, I think the whole approach of wanting to enhance students' problem-solving skills in Korea is uh, very applaudable because we're so used to rote learning and we don't really tend to have uh, the opportunity to learn to think for ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. But I do feel that it can cause a lot of confusion because you have to have a totally different mindset right. on what to prepare mm -hmm. for these exams. Have you mm -hmm. taken the SUNA? Yes, and oh. it was years and years ago, so I've noticed the changes. Okay. But I, I I guess this whole thing is like focused on trying to lessen the burden of students right. and reduce the education costs because I think the ministry also said like um, the Sunan questions will be based more on the EBS textbooks, mm -hmm. which is like a state run public broadcaster. Uh, but then because students need to adjust to the whole thing and get more used to the written test. This will, you know, stir up private education and institutions. Even so. a lot more. I mean, the whole purpose is to lessen the burden of right. uh, people, families, and parents that uh, the money cost on of public, course. I mean, private education. But mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. it could stir up it more. And have you taken the tsunami? Yet? I did. Yeah. I did. Yes. Oh, you did. Okay. Uh, it was, it wasn't a then. good memory for me personally. <laughs> okay. but, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Well, we'll see uh, where that goes. Mm -hmm. Moving on to some economic news that 
Japan, South Korea, and Ecuador will sign a strategic economic cooperation agreement, a type of free trade agreement, as I've said earlier in the headlines. Now, the government plans to officially sign the Korea-Ecuador SECA in the first half of next year after ministerial reviews and go through the ramification process by the National Assembly. However, the uh, SECA may be affected by the domestic political situation in Ecuador ahead of its presidential election. Now, Yein, fill us in. Of course. So according to the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy, the Ministry and Ecuadorian Minister of Production, Trade, Investment and Fisheries, Daniel Lagarda, signed a joint declaration announcing the conclusion of the SCCA negotiations this morning. And uh, SCCA, or, or uh, should we call it SECA, uh, is a term used to emphasize comprehensive economic cooperation uh, while practically referring to the same content as an FTA. So being the 23rd uh, free trade agreement uh, Korea will be signing, the South Korea-Ecuador SCCA had been discussed since 2016. So the negotiation remained suspended for more than six years due to differences in positions between the two countries. Uh, But uh, it resumed in July last year and finally got concluded after four rounds of official negotiations. So if you look at the trade volume between the two countries, it was valued at approximately $980 million last year, and exports to Ecuador amounted to $770 million, and imports were $210 million. So the Korean ministry deems the trade relationship complementary as Korea exports refined petroleum products, auto parts, and pharmaceuticals, while the Ecuadorian, uh, Ecuador exports crude oil, agriculture products, and minerals to Korea. So Ecuador is considered a promising investment destination as well as resource-rich country in Latin America. So the Korean government believes that Ecuador has a great growth potential as a base for investment and entry into Latin America market for South Korea, as the country uses the U.S. dollar as its base currency, as well as having relative little exchange rate risk and investment risk. So through this agreement, Korea and Ecuador uh, have agreed to a pretty high level of market liberalization, with Korea eliminating tariffs on 96.4% of all items and Ecuador on 22 sorry, 92.8%. Now, in particular, Korean automobiles, which are currently subject to high tariffs of up to 40%, will be completely eliminated within 15 years of the uh, agreement's entry into force. Now, the only caveat to consider, I believe, is that Ecuador is holding uh, its presidential election this month, actually, which might affect the agreement depending on how their domestic politics develops. So, still, the Korean government remains hopeful that despite a chance of government change in Ecuador, the agreement will be able to be implemented without any issue, for it is an intergovernmental agreement between two countries. Right. Fingers crossed for this agreement to uh, stay as it mm-hmm. is, even mm-hmm. though there's a there may be a change in government, because I'm sure the government's diversification strategy regarding trade uh, will definitely, in the ro- long run, run uh, minimize any risks related to trade. Right. Uh, 
uh, because we really do have to diversify our uh, targets when it comes to trade. Uh, moving on to some other economic news, we have some more updates regarding the Korean economy. It seems that South Korea has displayed a current account surplus for the fourth straight month in August, uh, and the Bank of Korea expects the surplus to be larger in the following month. Now, Hejong, you have the numbers. Sure. Korea logged a current account surplus for the fourth straight month in August on the back of a widened trade surplus and increased interest income from overseas. And this is the first time in 13 months since April through, through July last year that the country has recorded four consecutive months of surplus. According to preliminary data from the Bank of Korea, the country's current account surplus reached 4.81 billion US dollars in August. Now, after a $790 million deficit in April, the numbers posted a surplus in the following months, with July recording $3.74 billion of surplus. Now, in the first eight months of the year, the country reported a current account surplus of $10.98 billion, sharply down from $23.66 billion during the same period last year. So although the current account surplus has been posting a recent climb, the cumulative account surplus, though, through August this year is less than half of what it was in the same period last year. And looking into more of the numbers in August, the country's goods account racked up a $5.06 billion surplus in August, following a $4.44 billion surplus the previous month. The nation's outbound shipments fell 6.5% on-year to $53.75 billion in August, while imports dropped 21% to $48.68 billion. The primary income account, which tracks the wages of foreign workers, dividend payments from overseas, and interest income, reported a surplus of $1.47 billion in August as well. But the services account suffered an extended loss in August, uh, reaching $1.6 billion. And for this year, the central bank expects a cumulative current account surplus of $24.5 billion. Now, this would mean that for the remainder of the year, from September to December, a monthly surplus of $4 billion on average would be expected. Now, such forecast comes as the Bank of Korea expects a larger surplus in September, led by the goods account and the tourism balance, as well as the U.S. government recently agreeing to allow U.S.-made equipment to be taken into Samsung Electronics and SK Hynix semiconductor plants in China without separate permission in the wake of the IRA and Chips and Science Act, which will also be a major factor in helping out Korea's semiconductor industry. Right. So we are seeing some positive numbers, uh, such as the surplus. But for all the listeners and uh, people like us, uh, if we want to really feel that positive change in the economy, I feel like we really have to feel that drop in inflation mm -hmm. and right. the drop in uh, the price of mm -hmm. things that we buy, right. everyday consumer goods, prices. consumer prices, uh -huh. etc. Right. Well, moving on to uh, the dire situation in the Middle East, then the death toll on the 
Israeli side of a surprise attack by a Palestinian militant group, Hamas has risen to 1,200, according to Reuters' report today. Now, Yein, give us the latest numbers on the situation. Sure. So um, I had this chance to report uh, these numbers yesterday as well, mm-hmm. but it's always with very, very heavy heart that uh, we have to report these numbers. But the announcement uh, the Israeli military released yesterday was that the death toll from Hamas attacks had exceeded 1,000. And by today, that's the fifth day of uh, the whole conflict, the number was set to exceed uh, 1,200. So earlier, the death toll in the Palestinian Gaza Strip, where Israel initiated its retaliatory action towards Hamas with airstrikes, uh, was set to reach 950, with more than 5,000 people injured. So these bring the total death toll in the armed conflict between Israel and Hamas that was triggered on the 7th to nearly 2,150 on both sides. So the AFP reported that the number of foreigners dead, missing, and kept hostage has passed the 150 mark, with even more hostages being taken. Aside from the casualty tally, the death toll is expected to rise, of course, as the Israeli military has found 1,500 bodies of Hamas militants and continues to bombard Gaza. So amid an Israeli land, sea, and air offensive, a total blockade of the Gaza Strip has left 263,900 people displaced, according to the United Nations. So the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees noted shelters have been set up in 83 schools in Gaza, but 137,000 people had already taken their seats as of the 9th, filling 90% of the available shelters. Space. And the New York Times, of course, reported uh, that since the beginning of Israel's uh, retaliatory offensive, 168 buildings in Gaza have been destroyed, including seven hospitals and 48 schools, citing Palestinian officials. Right. So as you reported yesterday as well, Yein, as we're speaking at this very moment, the number of death toll and casualties is uh, continuously rising. And amid this escalating tensions between Israel and the Hamas, a South Korean passenger jet carrying a total of 192 South Korean nationals uh, that were staying in Israel arrived safely in Korea this morning. And Hejong, you have the latest on this. Sure. A total of 192 South Koreans returned home early Wednesday from Israel. A plane from Korean Air arrived at Incheon International Airport around 6 a.m. this morning after departing from Tel Aviv at 1.45 p.m. the previous day local time. Now, this is the first flight that has brought South Koreans back home since the conflict erupted Saturday when Hamas launched a surprise attack attack on Israel, and the airport was crowded with family members anxiously waiting for their loved ones to come home. Now, currently, there are about 1,050 of our nationals in Israel, with about 550 on long-term stays and 480 on short-term stays. And those who returned home this morning were among the 480 tourists visiting Israel for a short stay, and many of the travelers are known to have been visiting Israel on a pilgrimage. Other than the 192 Koreans that safely arrived at Korea by plane, 27 have crossed into Georgia 
Jordan via land route, and another 30 will leave the country tomorrow on Turkish Airlines. And earlier, the Korean Foreign Ministry said that South Korean nationals living in the Gaza Strip have taken refuge in a safe location and that the 230 Koreans remaining in Israel will be provided with assistance to help them leave the country safely. The ministry also said that there are no South Korean hostages or casualties yet, and that it will do its best to ensure the safety of its citizens. Also on Tuesday, President Yoon instructed the government during a cabinet meeting to remain alert and respond closely to the external uncertainties surrounding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And today, President Yoon Seok-yeol called an emergency meeting to discuss the economic and security impact of the escalating uh, conflict, and the meeting attendees included Foreign Minister Park Jin, Defense Minister Shin Won-sik, and National Security Advisor Cho Tae-yong. And this meeting comes as the ongoing conflict in Israel could have a significant impact on South Korea's economy and security. Right. So as Israel continues to engage Palestinian militant group Hamas with heavy airstrikes, it has ordered evacuations of its own citizens in the Gaza Strip, suggesting a ground operation is imminent. And Yain, you have more on this. Yes. So the British newspaper, The Guardian, uh, reported on the 10th local time that the night before the report came out, Israel notified its residents near the Gaza Strip to prepare for evacuation and to have enough food, water and other necessary supplies ready to use for the next 72 hours. The Guardian uh, interpreted this as a clear signal that a ground operation into Gaza Strip was imminent. And also we have the Wall Street Journal reporting that the Israeli military is calling up 300,000 reservists ahead of a ground operation into Gaza and has also stepped up its airstrikes on the area. In the midst of everything, uh, Israel's Highway 232, which runs along the border between Gaza and Israel, appears to have become a new front for both sides. Now, in the area surrounding the road on Tuesday morning, airstrikes and artillery fire were heard, Israeli tanks passing by, and military helicopters uh, seen flying overhead. And the road also showed signs of intense fighting with the bodies um, of what appeared to be Hamas fighters and abandoned cars destroyed by shelling. And just as a side note, if you go to YouTube, uh, there are actually a lot of media outlets who are live broadcasting uh, the actual footage um, of the area surrounding Gaza and what's really happening in real time. Uh, but it's really troubling, of course. Mm. Uh, the BBC said there are no longer any safe zones in Gaza as Israel has stepped up its airstrikes. So earlier, an Israeli Defense Forces, or IDF, spokesperson said hundreds of tons of bombs uh, had already been dropped on Gaza, noting that their focus here is on damage, not accuracy. Uh, Gaza residents say that while there were some safe zones during past battles around the area, the situation is quite different at the moment. So apparently, some residents have taken refuge underground, while others are trapped inside as buildings collapse. In the meantime, the Israeli army has allegedly fi- fired white phosphorus shells into a residential neighborhood in the Gaza Strip, according to some videos circulating on social media like Twitter and the Palestinian Authority in the Gaza Strip. Another claim surfaced on social media, of course, along with video footages, is that the IDF fired um, 
This white phosphorus at Hezbollah, a militant group in southern Lebanon that has also been involved in the clash. So uh, if we look at this white phosphorus shell, uh, it is uh, it it ignited uh, in contact with oxygen and uh, when it does produces a large amount of heat and flame and it is apparently quite difficult to extinguish so because of this trait um, this weapon is deadly to humans and is uh, prohibited actually from being used in residential areas or civilian populations under the Geneva Conventions as well as the Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons or CCW is what we call it the IDF has not come commented on whether it has actually used white phosphorus munitions in this engagement with Hamas or not. Right. I did some research on this white phosphorus shell, and mm-hmm. it really is uh, really deadly, and it can cause uh, very uh, deadly disease to people after what once it's used. And with this whole Israel and Palestinian issue, it's been decades. It heads back to goes back mm-hmm. up to uh, the 1940s even and I can't believe it's still going on and I feel like with all the social media and uh, outlets mm-hmm. we're being able to be really feel involved in this moment yes. as well and yes. what was also concerning and quite alarming is that many people are uh, unintentionally exposed to these explicit mm-hmm. and very graphic content although they can help uh, some people find uh, their families who are lost or held hostage. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, it's best for us to, while stay alert on the situation and pray for all the people out there, uh, we shouldn't really be exposing ourselves too much Mm -hmm. to these explicit content uh, content because it does emotionally affect us as well. But at the same time, we do have to pray for all the innocent lives out Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Now, moving on, another earthquake has hit Western Afghanistan just days after two large quakes in the same region had killed more than 1,000 people. That's last weekend. And Hejong, you have more on this. Right. It was a truly devastating disaster. A powerful earthquake uh, struck Herat province in Afghanistan near the border with Iran early Wednesday, several days after two major quakes in the same area turned the region into rubbles. Now, Afghanistan is frequently hit by earthquakes, especially in the Hindu Kush mountain range, as it lies near the junction of the Eurasian and Indian tectonic plates. And according to the U.S. Geological Survey, the magnitude 6.3 earthquake struck northwestern Afghanistan at 5.11 a.m. local time at a depth about 10 kilometers, and the epicenter was just outside Herat City, the provincial capital and one of the country's cultural and economic hubs. And it turns out that this quake was followed by two aftershocks measuring a magnitude of 5 and 4.1 at 5.22 a.m. and 5.43 a.m. respectively. Now, these secondary shocks also had a depth about 10 kilometers. At least 120 people were injured in the quake on Wednesday, and one was killed, according to the Herod province uh, emergency Health Committee. Most of those hurt were from Herat City and Zindajan, the district most badly affected by Saturday's quakes. The wider impact of Wednesday's earthquake is not yet clear, but there was optimism that it would be less destructive. The buildings in Herat City are mostly made from concrete, not from mud brick, as in districts that saw the worst devastation on Saturday, and thousands of others had already been sleeping out 
outside in tents or in makeshift shelters made of blankets and tarp, still terrified from the dual quakes that rocked the area on Saturday. Still at Herat's regional public hospital, ambulances raced in and out of the gate Wednesday morning, carrying dozens of injured people. And according to foreign media, the Taliban government in Afghanistan has estimated the number of casualties from the numerous earthquakes so far to be around 4,500. Well, I really wish for a quick recovery for all those casualties and hope not to see any more deaths uh, caused by this deadly earthquake. Now, that ends uh, today's Focus on Headline. Thank you once again, uh, Ye Yin and Hezong. Have a good evening. Thank, Thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.